You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 80. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hello, folks. So we've got another question and answer episode for you today where we answer the questions that you've sent in. And uh, we're going to hop into that in just a moment. We got some kind of a variety of questions. There isn't much of a theme this go around. Like occasionally we get a lot of like poly questions or a lot of kink questions or a lot of sex questions. And this time it's kind of all over the place, but uh, we're going to answer you guys' questions. So what's been new? We just had our 13-year wedding anniversary over the weekend. I knew exactly how many years it was. Yeah, I'm sure you did. (laughs) And uh, this year, we're kind of doing something different because we're kind of doing a vacation or trying to do a little vacation here at the end of October. So normally we go away for like a day or two for our anniversary, but this time we just locked ourselves in the bedroom for two days for like a fuck fest. And this isn't a question for the podcast, but I often get this question a lot in our Facebook group and around and and folks are like, well, you, you have multiple partners you live with, that sort of thing. And how do you divide time? And is it important to have individual time? And yes, dyad time is super important. So we took advantage of sort of locking ourselves in the room and playing and only coming out every once in a while to get some food, uh, which was nice. I, I, I like that. I feel like we need to do that more often. Yeah, it was pretty decent. Uh, another reason that we weren't looking to really go away, go away for our anniversary was because not only are we trying to do a vacation the end of October, but we're actually going to be in mid-October teaching uh, at a conference in Denver at Apex, which is the Power Exchange Conference. So if you're going to be at that or around there, uh, we're teaching a few classes. Come by, say hello. We'd love to see you. We're also going to be teaching at, I think, uh, Naughty Noel uh, in December, which is in Pennsylvania. And we've got a few smaller things as well that we're going to be doing locally that we're we're going out to teach at. So if you're going to be out at one of the conferences we're at, we'd love to say hello to you. And if you're local to the area, uh, check out our social media. You know, the smaller things that we do, we put that out on there as well. And I like to tell folks, do feel free to come up and say hello and and whatnot. We've had folks who have uh, seen us at things and then like wrote us later and we're like, I was too shy to come up. Feel free to say hi. As long as we're not getting into something or someone, feel free to come up and say hello to us. All right. And I think without further ado, we're going to hop into the questions for today. So our first question is from Leah, 29, Michigan. Any tips for getting over trauma-related hard limits? My ex twice removed ruined blowjobs and anal for me. So 
there's two kind of parts to this. And I, I want to start with this. You don't ever have to get over your hard limits if you don't want to. Um, it's sounding like this is something that you want to get over. And I want to address that, but I want to put it out there that if you have hard limits and there are things that don't work for you and don't make you happy and aren't things that you want to do, it's okay to stick to those things. Like forced feeding. <laughs> for you, yes. So Rigel does not appreciate the idea of forced feeding. So that is not something that he will ever work at trying to get over that hard limit. Now with this, it sounds like this is something that came from uh, bad experiences, as you said, trauma. And at this point, you want to move to a place where they're no longer a hard limit. And this can be really hard when it's trauma-related. You really have to unpack that trauma and separate the trauma from the interactions. This might be a place where you want to talk to someone that is like a sex therapist. But the big thing is working with your partner and slowly trying to do things in a way that isn't going to harm you. If you're seeing that these things are causing you harm, upsetting you, then it's not worth pushing yourself. It's not worth putting yourself in that kind of emotional danger. So you can always try to very slowly tiptoe into things, but if you're seeing that you're not having improvement and this is something that you really want to dive into, this might be more of a territory to look for outside help. How you can actually look for like a you know, sex therapist, uh, the NCSF website's pretty good. They have kink aware professionals. Depending on where you are, it's going to be easier to find someone that you can actually go and see, but there are actual sex therapists that you can work with online. So just because someone is not necessarily in your area, still contact them, reach out. If nothing else, they may have a reference for someone else that can point you in the right direction. All right. So our next question was sent in anonymously, and I'm going to kind of edit this a bit as I read it. My biggest issue with my relationship is trying to get over the fact that I've become shallow and not interested in my wife because she is no longer attracted to me when I look at her and see that gut and think to myself, that's not sexy or attractive and I do not like what I see. Then I have to be told by everyone that I'm no good um, because we've been together for 14 years and people confuse love and lust. So basically what they're saying is, you know, that people tell them when they say that, that they're no good because they should love their, their partner and they do love their partner, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're sexually attracted to them. I can see her naked and be in the mood because that's what happened when people get naked, but just to see her naked and think that's gorgeous, that would be wonderful. Uh, we fought for so long and I'm ready to move on because she's had a year to fix this and get healthy, but she still failed. So I guess the question there is actually, what should they do in that situation? So here's the thing. Our bodies change, things happen. And this really comes down to being honest with our partners. And it's not ever a fun conversation. It's never a fun conversation to go to your partner and ask them to change about anything, honestly. And whenever you're asking your partner to change, that's a rough conversation, but it's particularly difficult when it is around looks. And the truth is, is that we do have things that we are attracted to and not attracted to. And we all like to try to stay very um, enlightened and, 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 and nice about it. But let's just face it, folks. We all have things that we find attractive or we don't find attractive. And at the end of the day, we have to be honest with ourselves and our partners about that. 
And that doesn't mean being mean. That doesn't mean, you know, saying nasty things, uh, you know, with the comments that came, you know, the question that came in, you're, you're broaching that like nasty side. And maybe this means that it's time to step away if you're becoming resentful of the way that your partner looks and that you're with this person. But if this is something where you do still care about the relationship, you still love your partner and want to work with your partner, being honest and actually having that conversation of this is what I'm attracted to, this is what I need. And either that's something you two can work together on or it's not. Yeah, I want to I wanna take a step back here for just a second. I think this is, there's this interesting thing here. It says, you know, that I become shallow. And there, there is an interesting thing here because it does become a really tricky situation where, you know, as you were saying, Cassie, we all have things that we find attractive or not attractive. And it's those things are different for everybody. Like everybody has their own set of like, you know, what looks good to me. And A, you know, it's something that we don't have a lot of control over, I think, in a lot of circumstances, right? And B, it's it's something that, and, and this person does bring up a good point, as much as I'm not a huge fan of the way this question is phrased about, you know, there's a difference between love and lust. And you can love somebody and, you know, love them for who they are as a person and not be attracted to them. And you can, and I think a lot of people wind up in situations, not quite to this extent, but where, you know, you have a partner, you have somebody that you love who, you know, you found attractive when you got together. And for whatever reason, over time, you know, time kind of takes its toll on all of us. You just don't find that person as attractive anymore. And so I don't think that makes you shallow necessarily to have, you know, things that are attractive or not attractive to you. I think that kind of what determines the character and this is how you handle the situation from there. Yeah. And a large part of this is recognizing that maybe this is something that your partner is very self-conscious about. Maybe this is something that your partner has struggled with. Perhaps it's something where your partner doesn't really know either, right? So there's a lot of things that could be going on here. And if you're not approaching it with this like gentle, loving, I care about you, I want to be with you, but this is something that I'm finding unattractive and it's infecting our intimacy and our ability to bond, that is very different than being like, I think you look like a fat pig, right? Like there is a big difference between this is affecting our intimacy and our closeness to being insulting and being hard and and putting like hard, hard time limits on things. Like you must be X amount of pounds by the 30th of blank month. Not to say that you can't ever have like a point where you're like, this is not something that's going to change. I am not going to be able to be in a physical relationship with this person. But this is something to approach first with the care and the understanding that your partner is probably looking for. And then, you know, I don't know what your relationship structure looks like. You're writing into this show. So I'm assuming that it's somewhat outside the box in some fashion or another. But, you know, I mean, there's there's a separate question here, right? There's the question Cassie's saying as far as finding the person attractive. But then there's the other question. If you so if, if you're in a situation where you, you're kind of coming to the result that you're you know, you don't find this person attractive for whatever reason and that's not changing for whatever reason, you're kind of moving to I'm ready to move on. 
And again, I don't know your your situation, but that isn't necessarily the step that you have to take. Maybe it's a possibility that you can keep a romantic relationship with that person, but not a physical relationship. Maybe you can work on getting those needs met somewhere else. I don't know. That's really pretty dependent on on whether or not you're in a non-monogamous relationship or open to being in a non-monogamous relationship. But I'm just trying to point out that a lot of times when we see relationship things in black and white, well, she didn't lose the weight, so I'm I'm ready to move on. There's usually a lot of other area in there for different solutions. And if this is somebody who you love, I mean, you say you've been with for uh, 14, 14 years. years. Yeah. And that you love her. Well, I mean, maybe even if you decide, okay, I'm not attracted and it's not changing, maybe you don't need to hop right to, so I should leave. Anything else? No, I think that's about it. Last thing I'll say with this is just I I somewhat feel like I nicened this question up a bit when I'm reading it. But, you know, certainly I'd I'd say that uh, it would be helpful to go about this maybe in a little bit more of a kind way to your partner. Um, I don't know, you know, if you're speaking to them in the same way that the the question is coming in. But if so, that's probably not helping the situation. And even if you're not talking to them in this way, perhaps making sure that you're in a good mindset when you are talking to them. Because if if this is how you regularly feel, it probably is coming out in the conversations that you're having. All right. So our next question is from Jennifer. And she says, I'm busy with nursing school at the moment. But if I even start to think about going out with someone and getting involved, I automatically wonder if this person is going to be into the same stuff as me. How do I know? Can I tell? I wish I could just flat out ask. So, I mean, you say, I wish I could just flat out ask. And the answer is you can. That would be my short answer to your question. But I'll go a little deeper here. So... We talk sometimes about how things have changed in the kink world over the years. And when you look at some books that were written a little while longer ago, some kink books, and they talk about finding partners, and usually there's this big focus on, oh, you find somebody that you're attracted to in the vanilla world, and then you can start working that person into kink. And at the time, that was a pretty decent way to do it. But now stuff's become a lot more prevalent and it's generally, I have found in my personal life, much easier when you know that you're kinky and you have needs along those lines or you're not going to feel fulfilled in your relationships. I find that it's much easier to find kinky people and then find somebody that you're attracted to and you get along with rather than finding somebody that you like and get along with and then hoping that you can turn them kinky later. Yeah. And there's a lot of good ways to find other kinky people. First, obviously, if you have a community, getting out to that community. If you have a particular kink, you didn't really mention what your kink was, but if you have a particular style of kink, say you're into rope bondage or you're into daddy little girl play or you're into female domination, I'm just throwing out some random things. But there's a lot of communities just around specific kinks. So you can find folks who are not only accepting, but also into those particular kinks. The other thing is, is even things like 
regular Videla dating sites now have questions and things like that where you can filter to look for people who are kinky. Okay, Cupid's a great example. You can go in and you can answer questions like, I like to be tied up or I like to tie someone up or be bitten or pull hair. What I will say is, is definitely look at those questions because sometimes they mess them up because a match is if you answer the same thing and OkCupid hasn't figured out that if you're a bottom, you like to be bitten and not like to bite. So sometimes they'll match those things up or I like to be spanked and both people say I like to be spanked. So look at those questions, but they're there. It's more important to look at the answers than than to look at the score. I guess, uh, you know, if you are getting out with somebody, Cassie, what is the right point to bring up your kings? So it depends on the situation, but I'm going to assume what you're asking is if you're out and about, you meet some random person, you go on a date, you don't know if they're kinky or not. Is that the scenario? Let's that do that. And then let's do if you know they're kinky. Okay. If this is a, is a person that you have no context for their kink, it's okay to start bringing that stuff up when you start actually getting to the point of like sexual flirtation. Most of us at some point start doing the like, yeah, I like blowjobs or I like fingering. This is a good time to like throw something in and see how it goes. I wouldn't go for like the extreme stuff out the gate. Like don't go from like, oh, I like to be fingered to like, I'm really into abduction play. Like ease into that stuff a little bit. But that's usually a good time that you can start to kind of talk a little bit about, oh, well, I, I, I like bondage or, oh, I, I like this. So that's a good time. It's going to take a little bit more of a, a slower process because you don't necessarily want to freak the person out unless you're me. Honestly, at this point, and, and, and anybody else on here can can take this advice, I'd rather get that out of the way. That being said, I'm not going to do it on a first date. I'm not going to do it in a first conversation. I'm not going to be like, hi, I'm Cassie. I like to hit people with things. But having that be an, an earlier conversation that you start, and typically you're not going to do this by saying, hey, are you into anal fisting? You're going to say, hey, have you ever made it to like any like alternative events? I do camp events or I've been to some like, interesting parties and see where that conversation leads and, then and what, get it out of the way. <laughs> and then what if it is a kinky person? Okay. If it's a kinky person, you can have this conversation pretty easily. One of the things that you want to avoid, and it's kind of going in the opposite direction is again, you don't want to walk up to somebody. I've had folks do this to me where it's like, hi, my name is Bob and I really want a female dominant to peg me. That's not a good <laughs> kind of start of that conversation. You want to actually treat that person as a person, talk to them. But that's a conversation that you can have pretty early on. And especially in the context of how you're meeting that person, you can even have that conversation earlier. So if you're in a dungeon space and you're seeing them look at something or they have a bag of toys, that's a really easy way to start a conversation. Aside for that, if it's not necessarily in like a kink setting, but a munch setting, talk about things that you've done, right? Like start talking about things that you're interested in, and then you can kind of feel out and feel what they're interested in. So our next question, I'm going to, I'm going to read it as anonymous because the person said we could use this question, but didn't specifically say we could use their name. The gist of it is they would like us to talk some about how to fuck and be fucked 
by someone who has erectile dysfunction, essentially. The being fucked is 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 simple. Not all sex. Well, and this goes this goes for both questions. Not all sex involves PIV, right? So that's kind of the first key thing in this conversation is a lot of times when we talk about erectile dysfunction, things like that, people first thought process is, well, what pill can I get to fix the hard problem, right? Like if the penis is not hard, it's all broken. There's nothing else that can be done. And that... First off, if that's how you're operating normally, you're doing it wrong. Yes. <laughs> and that was what I was going to say was, and that in itself is a huge problem because that says a lot about your sex life. So obviously, if that is a problem and it is something where uh, you are not able to be pleased as the person who is experiencing the dysfunction with, with being erect, you can do things like anal play. I actually have a good friend who has issues with that. And that was when he found anal play was an amazing thing. Prostate? Yeah. Well, he got into anal play. It wasn't play. clear to me who you were talking about anal being on. So I was clarifying. It's due to other medical issues and whatnot. But yeah, he, he got into some like anal play and then discovered that prostate is amazing and was able to, to get off that way and, and experience orgasms and, and things like that. So there's that aspect of, of that's something you can do. Also, just because your penis is not hard does not mean that you cannot get off. It is more difficult than, than not. But you can reach orgasm without being fully erect. So that is a conversation that you and your partner may have. Like, what can you do that makes you experience pleasure? As far as the other party, the party who has the partner who is having these issues, you know, there's a few things. First, like, it's okay to be like, this is not something that I find enjoyable. Obviously, going back to the question that we had earlier, like when we're having these conversations and we're talking about things that we're not happy about with our partners, you want to approach it in a gentle way. You want to be caring. Make sure that you're not making your partner feel awful. But you can say like, I do not enjoy sex with, you know, a non-erect penis. There are people who do find some, some enjoyment with that, but that's not everybody. And again, this goes back to, well, what can we do to make our sexual experience fun and enjoyable. So maybe that means incorporating toys, right? There's lots of toys out there. There's even toys that you can strap to your, your you know, penis and, and wear over top. There is lots of varieties of, of things that you can incorporate as far as sex, whether it's vibrators or anything else that can assist in making that sex more enjoyable. But when it comes to our partners having these things, these, these you know, issues when it comes to health, and uh, as I said, going back sort of to the question that we had before, whenever we're dealing with this kind of stuff, we want to make sure that the way that we're approaching it is how can we have a better experience together? And I think it's important to remember, too, that like, you know, as, as the other partner, it just a guy not getting an erection does not 
equate to unattraction. I think that's a pretty common myth for for people who haven't really thought that much about it. You know, like, oh, well, you know, if he can't get hard, it's because I'm not attractive or there's something wrong with me. And then the fact of the matter is there's just a lot of reasons, particularly as people get over 40 and, you know, medications. And there are all kinds of things that can uh, have that result. And it doesn't have necessarily anything to do with the level of attraction in you or you doing anything wrong or anything like that. I think that's a pretty common thought process. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I I didn't think to talk about that, but there is a lot of particularly like cis women who when, you know, their partner isn't able to get erect, really take that on as like a I did something wrong or I'm not good enough. And there's a variety of reasons that that can happen. And not just for those who have like it as a chronic problem, but it can just happen. There's can be an experience where everything is going well and someone gets tired and that's just what happens. It obviously a lot of times is embarrassing for the penis haver, but it also, as you said, has probably very little to do with you as a partner. And then I just want to talk about a couple more ways that I'm looking at, at this question that came in. It was actually pretty, pretty long. Some ways that women can pleasure men who aren't getting erections. So, I mean, you had mentioned, I know, I know some people who do find prostate play to be really helpful with that. Blowjobs, I think are a a pretty, pretty common one. And then there's, I think there's also all the stuff that you would do normally as a part of sex that doesn't specifically involve the penis. Yeah. I think we confuse pleasure with orgasm. And as somebody, I'm looking at you, Rigel, what is one of the most pleasurable things for you to do during sex or sexy time? I have no idea what you're looking really? at. Really? Giving it's oral. It's such a long list. Giving oral. How often do you talk about giving oral? Lots. Like, all the time. Oh, you meant for me. Yes. Oh, gotcha. Because the, the, the point that I'm making is, is that a lot of times we confuse pleasure in sexual activities as either A orgasm or B, us receiving something. And that is not always the, the the thing. No, but I did want to talk about what, as far as receiving, like what you can do for somebody, like what other sexual things you can do for somebody who doesn't have an erection. So I was saying like the stuff that isn't normally, uh, that we don't normally consider, I guess, sex, but like, you know, everything from like biting the shoulder to sucking the fingers to all the, all the other things that aren't genitally oriented that we normally do or should be doing during sex. Yeah. So all of the foreplay leading up to activities are still things that are still pleasurable. The other thing that I know from having conversations with my friend who I had mentioned before, he finds it incredibly pleasurable to have his balls played with. Like, and he's, he was saying before, all this happened with his health, that was an area that was neglected. And he was like, I like completely discovered that there's a part of my body that I should have been played with a lot more for like my 35, 40 years of life that I had not had played with. So it's, it's really honestly going to be about discovering what feels good on your partner. Like take the time to rediscover your partner's body. All right. So our next question is from Jill 41 DC. Is it normal to change from a top to a bottom? How do I get my partner to accept that I no longer am interested in bottoming? 
I used to be their bottom, but have now figured out I am a top and don't like bottoming. Okay, so is it normal? Yes. Uh, I think people, people, that's stuff that changes a lot for people. It fluctuates. It fluctuates a lot. Yeah, I I think, so I'd say yes. I think it's pretty normal to change from a top to bottom. I won't, I won't even go into all the history where like they, it used to be expected that you were a bottom, but before you were a top, that's, that's kind of another discussion, but it's, it's normal for people to change from bottoms to tops. I'm actually trying to think if it's as common to see people change from tops to bottoms. Hmm. I have seen that less. But uh, yeah, I feel like but we would have happens. to do like a scientific data on that. But I, I, I personally have seen and, that. Anecdotally, I don't feel like I've seen as much of that. But um, yeah. Anyways, that's not really the but question. But what I will say is this: something to consider. And I'm, I'm not trying to pick apart your question, but it's sounding like to me that there's this idea that you have to be one or the other. And maybe that's not what's going on with you. Well, it says I'm a top and I don't like bottoming. Yeah. So just to keep in mind that, like, even if you find that there's mostly only toppy activities that you enjoy, if you like some small bottoming activities, things like that, it's okay not to, like, have to choose to be one or the other. And as I said, I'm not trying to, like, say that this is part of your question, but just because when we get a lot of these questions, a lot of times folks think that they have to kind of choose. And I'm not a switch, but uh, I hear it's fantastic. So, <laughs> but changing and deciding that you don't like something is perfectly reasonable too. Yeah, so it, it is, it's pretty normal. I'll leave that part of the question alone. I think the more important part here is how do I get my partner to accept that I'm no longer interested in bottoming? And I think it, what is important to realize is that this is something that can be really difficult, right? We all change over time. If we're in relationships, if you, if you look back at your own life and you sit there and you look at yourself and the person that you were, say, five years ago, 10 years ago, and you can see how much you've changed. And a lot of times, even though we we realize that about ourselves. We don't realize that everybody changes that much and we need to expect our partners to change too. And it's something we should expect, but it's something that we we don't. And it's also something that can be really difficult when we get together with somebody under this idea that somebody is a certain way and we're going to interact in a certain way and have certain needs fulfilled. And then we find out that that's not the case. So it is a... a pretty potentially difficult situation for your partner. And I think it's important to go into this realizing that anytime we we make a big change like that, as part of like who we've been with our partners, who we interact with our partners, it's perfectly fine and it's normal, but it's hard. And it can be really difficult to deal with those feelings. And I think part of this is you're really going to have to be caring with your partner's feelings and recognize that this is a loss, right? This is this is something that they may grieve and that takes time. Uh, we, we give a lot of patience to grieving when it's for things like death, but we often don't give a lot of leeway for grieving of things that aren't necessarily living things. So I'm not saying let your partner be a 
bad person for the next six months, but if they're upset for a while, that's understandable. That is something that you want to try to be supportive, not be doing things that are not who you are, but being supportive and encouraging. The other thing is, is that you may want to have a conversation about are these needs that your partner needs to have fulfilled, maybe not from you. If this is something that you are now removing, there might need to be a conversation of how can your partner still get these needs? If they have always identified as a top and that's a big part of who they are, they may need to have those needs fixed. And that might be part of this acceptance is it's really scary when we think that our partner is changing something that we are never going to be able to get anywhere else. Uh, That's a very scary thing. So having that open, honest conversation can really help the situation. So our next question is from Brittany. Hi, I need some help with dirty talk in bed. My partner loves to be called daddy, which has taken me a while to get used to. With others, it's been fine, but because I think because we are so intimate and in love, it's hard for me. He likes me to talk and tell him what I like and how good it is almost the whole time, but I'm running out of real dirty things to say. I need some variety. My old subdom relationship, I had no trouble at all, but feelings have me getting shy. Oh, those feelings. Being all inconveniencing and everything. So feelings can get in the way, especially if in some ways those those dirty talks that you're saying may have a, a little bit of a, uh, could be taken like as negatives or picking or things things like that. It's, I feel it's like you're easier. talking more like humiliation-y stuff almost. I don't want to go humiliation-y necessarily, but like, because it, it doesn't have to necessarily be humiliation, but when it starts approaching that, like it could be negative when we're all feeling all lovey-dovey, it can be hard to do that because it's like, oh, I can't tell you this because I don't want to be a brat because I love you so much. So um, yeah, the, the feelings definitely can get in the way. Part of counteracting that is recognizing that your partner does find this fun. Is there a way you can make it more playful? A lot of times when we're able to make dirty talk more playful, it comes more natural because we're not making it something that has to be serious. And if we flop or say something not the right way, there isn't that pressure of we did something wrong. Yeah, I I feel like there's almost a few questions here, right? And the first is this thing of I'm having trouble doing dirty talk specifically with this person. And then you have I'm running out of dirty things to say. And those are almost two different things. So let's just talk for a minute about I'm having trouble dirty talking with this person. So I, I find it really interesting when you say that you haven't had a hard time calling other people daddy, but you have a hard time calling him daddy because you're so intimate. And the reason that I say that is because, uh, you know, out of a lot of the relationships that I've been around, the relationships where somebody's called daddy, like where there is like somewhat of a daddy dynamic there, tend to be the like particularly like loving, nurturing relationships as opposed to. I don't know. Rougher, uh, relationship. rougher, maybe rougher is a way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's maybe something to give some some thought to. Is because I know a lot of people when they're they're using daddy or they're having a like I said that kind of dynamic, 
I feel like I'm thinking back to our episode with Kate Sloan, which I'll mm-hmm. post in the show notes. Um, but those those usually are when you're looking at the the breadth of BDSM relationships, you know, the more nurturing, I cutesy? guess. Yeah, cutesy, not loving, but like stereotypically loving, I guess, type relationships. Hallmark looking. Yeah. So that that that's something I think to think about. And then talking about this, I'm running out of dirty things to say. So I, I think... And I wonder if this kind of plays into where you're like, I'm having problems doing dirty talk here. I'm partially wondering if it's you're having trouble because you're running out of things to say. So it's getting difficult and awkward feeling. And I think there's there's so I'll give some a little bit of advice here. You know, one of the simplest things to do as far as dirty talk is just to actually say what you want to have done to you or what you want to do. Like we tend to get super creative with dirty talk. Or just talking about what's going on. Yeah, those are kind of the there's, three things. There, there's there's something to be said about narrating your sex that is dirty. Like, oh my God, it feels great that you're touching my thighs right now. And you're licking my sides and playing with my breasts. Like, I'm literally just like... Or like like I said, or, or talking about what you want. Like, I want you to fuck me hard or what you want to do. Like, I really want to suck your cock. Like, these are these are the, the easiest way to dirty talk isn't to get creative. It's to talk about those things. So what you want to do, what you want to have done to you and what is happening and just to narrate those things. So that's one thing. I'll also say that it sounds like you may need to have a talk with your partner that the level of dirty talk that he wants is taking you out of sexy space, right? Because there is something to be said for if somebody's expecting you to narrate and talk dirty the whole time. For a lot of people, that can get to be not sexy. And that's something that you should voice if you need to voice. Yeah, maybe dirty talk is something that you need more sprinkled in versus it being the thing that's every time you have sex or every time you play. Um, And... If that's the case, being upfront about that and kind of talking about how how much does he actually need? You said, you know, he really likes it and he'd liked it the whole time. But are these things that he's actually said or things that you're interpreting because of how much he enjoys it? It might not be something he actually needs as much as you're putting pressure on yourself to do. All right. So our next question is from Ronnie. I'm looking for bisexual couples. Any advice? And I do think this is a good question because this is actually something that I've heard from people we work with. When we work with people on building better polyamorous relationships, we do have a a portion of our program that talks about dating. And I have heard from a lot of the men coming through who are looking for bisexual couples that that's actually a pretty hard thing to find. Yeah. And so I see this also a lot, not just from, from our clients, but also other areas, particularly people who identify themselves as like a dragon. So there's the self-identified unicorns, which are, you know, the, the bisexual women looking for a male female couple where the, the, the female is bisexual. And then there's the, the dragons, which are the male identified folk who are looking for a male female couple where the male is bisexual. And this pops up a lot more than people actually talk about. And so the thing that I want to point out is that it is more taboo 
to say that I am a bisexual male, even inside the open sexuality community. So it's harder to find couples where there is a bisexual male because people don't talk about it. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's that people don't talk about it. But there are groups um, out there. There are places to look. Oddly enough, I tell folks all the time, stay off Facebook when they're trying to date. But uh, if you're looking for bisexual couples, there's actually quite a few really good groups on Facebook. They're specifically for finding couples and uh, couples that have various configurations of bisexuality. How you want to search for those is uh, triad, you know, unicorns and dragons looking for their couples. Uh, These are keywords. Dragons and unicorns and their hunters is another one. So um, put in those keywords and, and look, there's actually communities based around that and that might help you. I know a couple of my clients have been able to find couples better that way than on your typical dating site because dating sites don't really list we're a couple looking for a, a male, we're bisexual, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of guys are really shy outside of accepting communities like that to speak up and say that they're bisexual. Our last question is from Marie. My husband and I have an open relationship, but he still seems to get really upset when I do anything with anyone else. I try and assure him that I love him, but he doesn't see how I could not just want him. Going into our relationship, he knew I wanted to be open, but I guess he wanted me to change. I do love him and I don't want to fight with him every time, but I also don't want to sacrifice my happiness. I'm not sure what to do. So that's a really, really difficult situation. And a pretty Um, common one. And a pretty common one. But the first sort of step in all this is figuring out if there is something missing in the relationship between you and your partner, that he is, there's needs that aren't being met. There are things that are not being addressed. Like that's the first step in in figuring out if there's an easy solution to this. Maybe this jealousy, maybe these hurt feelings uh, have something to do with something small. Like your partner doesn't feel like he's getting enough time or you guys don't have date nights. Do that first. But if this is something bigger, this is going to take a lot of unpacking. When our partners are stuck in a place where they feel bad every time we go out with another partner or they're unhappy every time we have a new relationship, this is a, an area where a lot of resentment can build up and things can get bad very quickly. Yeah. So one thing about this, right, is you have the, the the fact that your husband gets upset when you have to do something. And this is a little different in your situation than it might be in another situation. Here's what I mean. So we get sometimes we deal with people where I'm polyamorous, but I don't want you to be polyamorous. I want you all to myself, right? And that's that's one of those things where that clearly there's some hypocrisy going on there. And, you know, there's there's a, <laughs> there's some definite problems with that. But when you have a relationship where one person's monogamous and the other person's polyamorous, you know, that monogamous person, it can be really easy for them to get this feeling of, I don't understand how you can just want me because they don't experience that, right? They don't feel like they need anybody else and they can't see that point of view. And to them, it's 
partially a lot of times a cultural thing, but it also can just be a, this is how I see the world. If I'm not enough for you, right? That means that you don't love me or you don't want me or we're incompatible or something like that. And that can be a very real feeling. So the thing is, is that relationships where one person is monogamous and one person is polyamorous can work. It's not the kind of common wisdom, but it's something that we see all the time. Uh, We actually will tell people that one of the things that surprised us is since we've been coaching people on how to build better polyamorous relationships, I think it's a third is the number. A fourth. Is it a fourth now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anywhere, it depends on the time frame, but anywhere between a third to a fourth of the people who come through our program are couples where one person's polyamorous and one person's monogamous. So those relationships can work, but they take a lot of effort and they take a definite willingness by everybody in the situation including your husband, to understand that I'm monogamous and that's okay. You're polyamorous and that's okay. And we're going to do our best to try and make this situation work. Yeah. And I like to tell folks, unlike popular opinion where these relationships can't, they, 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 there's no way to solve this. That's BS. They can work. They're not easy. It's definitely not an easy thing. But there's definitely ways to overcome those challenges and move to a place where the relationship is not only uh, healthy, but thriving and happy and something where both of you can be excited about the future together. And that's a place that you want to get. You have this thing here. I don't want to sacrifice my happiness. And the thing is, when you're polyamorous, you can very well be in a situation where if you're forced to be a monogamous relationship, that won't be a healthy relationship for you and you won't be happy. And the same thing if you're monogamous, by the way, right? So uh, the important thing is to understand that this can work. It's going to take a lot of work. But if you and your husband are both willing, it's definitely something that you can have a lot of success with and both get to a place where you're happy and you're healthy. So two steps that I give you on this. The first step is we have an entire podcast just on this topic. It's called I'm Polly, they're mono. What the fuck do I do? Uh, I'll post a link to that in the show notes at atouchofflavor.com forward slash 80. But I would suggest that you listen to that. Um, You know, listen to that, get your husband to listen to that. And after you do that, if this is something that you want to move forward with, or maybe you still feel like you need to discuss a little more, whether you want to move forward. But at any rate, you feel like you could use some more help. Um, Go ahead, set up a call with us. We offer a free call to people to sort out what's going on in their relationships and what steps they need to take. And you can do that at atouchofflavor.com forward slash call. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. All right, folks. Thanks so much for all the questions. It's always great to hear from you all. And remember that if you want us to answer your questions, we do about one of these a month. Uh, You can send your questions in at atouchofflavor.com forward slash ask. It'll take you to our contact page. Uh, There's a section on there where you can submit a question either by calling it in. Uh, Sometimes we have people who call in and leave the questions by voicemail or by filling out a form. It'll get over to us and we'll answer your question on the next Q&A. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 